Wesley said the cure of evil speaking was Matthew 18. We take up vilification, church order, and Jezebel today. Welcome. This is Jesus, the pattern son, attempt to give you sonship doctrine that is faithful and fulsome, or in other words, a go at it that's biblical and orderly. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about vilification. That's what Wesley calls it. This is a very important installment considering the method that we're going to use or not use to become perfect. So we have seen that we're called to be like Jesus and we have established that some sort of perfection of maturity is possible and surely that maturity is being like Jesus and so we should also establish some method and definition. If we take Matthew 5 and 48, we see that perfection is about living in love. Well, and yes, this matches with who and what Jesus is. Presumably, we might take the Bible and all of it to give us some guidelines for maturity. And then we remember that these are guidelines or tutors and not rule sets as if we could achieve sonship. No, we finish as we started by grace as we've seen in our study of Galatians. Nevertheless, on the way, we do need teaching. And so we see in the New Testament that we are taught. And there are normally lists of reminders in every book, in every letter to a church. Now, some of us have heard many, many times that the method toward becoming a mature son of God, or rather the one many-membered body of Christ, is found in Ephesians 4 and 11 following, which I'll read to you now. Ephesians 4, 11. And he, meaning Jesus Christ, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in King James. And that's worth some reflection and digging in. But I think you're very familiar with that. So we can take from this passage that the ministry is supposed to teach for the building up of the body. Hmm. So what kind of teaching builds up the body? Well, given that Paul wrote this, probably the rest of what Paul wrote would be such, correct? Maybe even later down in this chapter. What do you think? <laughs> the Bible really does interpret it itself. And if we would read things in context, we would get a whole lot more insight and be quite more established in what the insight and what the passages say. Yes? So let's pay attention to the rest of the chapter. 
So that which builds up will make the right result. Christ-likeness, unity, knowledge. Building itself up in love, right? Great. Perfection, as we have seen, is not about a rule set, not about showing off, not about being the most rich or the most poor, not about being the most controlling or the most controlled, <laughs> but about loving. And loving is serving, yes? According to Wesley, we can be free from sin without losing ignorance or making mistakes. Okay. We hope to always be right, but we know we can now be humble. Correct? We hope to one day live in a glorified body, and we claim healing today. But we serve the sick among us. Yes? Of course. So one thing that Wesley particularly pointed out was how we offend with our tongue. And this is in Ephesians 4. Just look at it, if you will, quickly. Ephesians 4. So there's the passage we read, building up, and then talking about how we've been alienated from God. In the past we live in deceitful lust. But in verse 27, we are renewed in the spirit of our mind, and we put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So immediately we are positionally sanctified. Wherefore, and so verse 25 starts the list. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sin go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that steal, that stole, steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edify, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So most of this is about communication out of our mouths. Yes, we shouldn't steal. I think you probably know that. <laughs> but most of this is about loving each other with words and not doing the opposite. Okay, so the text that we're going to use particularly for the vilification is verse 31. Put away from you evil speaking. Evil speaking. Modern people who read King James assume that means cussing. But the word is blasphemeo, and the context is humans speaking to one another. And so Wesley translates that vilification and, and not without word. Wesley particularly pointed out that we offend with our tongue. And this, of course, increased with James. This might be very hopeful in terms of polishing off maturity, correct? <laughs> Because we know 
that's a big task to get our tongue completely in order. And then perhaps the last enemy before death is probably pride, (laughs) right? What do you think? Even the elect may be deceived. So before we work on death, and before we're sure that we've cut off all pride, we can start working on our tongue. So how do we avoid evil speaking? Wesley teaches us. In fact, he has a famous sermon, one of his 40 most famous sermons on this directly. So let us work on our tongue. What should we be talking about? The Word of God, of course. Prophetic words, ah yes, but not to show off, not to cut others down. And even then, we may get ourselves in trouble because other people don't want to hear it. But that's another sermon. (laughs) Let's consider what we do when we talk about others. And this is not a plug for confidentiality, even used correctly, but rather consideration of how we always talk and even how we think of others. So Wesley says we can be free from outward sins, free from evil thoughts and evil tempers, which of course is a step up, right? Not all anger is sinful as Jesus was angry, Luke 6.40 and Wesley points out, thankfully, it's enough that a servant be like his master. So there are times when we should be angry against sin in in an appropriate way, but we sin not. Okay, that was what I'd say. Be angry and sin not. We need to be pure from self-will and that our love would be made perfect in this world so that we could be as our master. So you can look up Luke 6.40 and 1 John 4.17 for that. And I would like to add to this, when we are talking about our tongue, I would like to add this consideration, evil speaking. And Wesley's sermon is the cure of evil speaking. So this is a lack of loving concern for the brethren. And it's founded on deep root of pride. So again, our scripture is Ephesians 4 and 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So blasphemia, vilification, even Strong's translates it so, and it's translated in various places as blasphemy, evil speaking, or railing. Normally, we would call railing a loud chewing somebody out on and on and on and on loudly that's would be my translation into modern English of the older word railing Wesley counts vilification as a most serious sin he says we should not fabricate stories about our brothers and sisters you know this is This happens more than we realize we fabricate stories. We fill in the blanks in a negative way. And so often it's hurtful and with no relation to reality. We should not fabricate stories. We should not pass on stories even that are true. We should not even dwell on the faults of others. It does us no good. 
And there's no point in discussing it with ourselves, let alone somebody else, if we're not going to discuss it with them. And that is the cure of vilification. Wesley says Matthew 18 is the cure for vilification. So if you are so upset about someone else's failing that you need to speak to him, then do so after consulting Matthew 18. Do it in a way to restore your brother. And there's a process there. If he doesn't listen to you, then to bring it to the elders of the church and so forth. But you see, almost at no time is that appropriate. For instance, somebody smokes and is damaging their health and they're a Christian and maybe that's upsetting to you, but would you speak to them about it? There is no point in speaking to someone else about it or even to yourself about it if you would not speak to them about it. Yes? <laughs> okay. And fill in the blank. So-and-so has done whatever you think she has. Maybe she hasn't, but you've decided she has. Okay, just put it aside because you don't know for sure what has gone on or why she has done that or even if she's done that for sure. It may look like that. Okay, but would you go talk to her? No, of course not. Well, then you shouldn't be talking to yourself about it. All of this is what Wesley classes as vilification. The cure is following Matthew 18. Now, to say evil speaking, we should stay away from evil speaking, is not the same thing as don't be negative, which is so common in our, our culture. Don't be negative. Well, people like it if you were positive, but it's not the same thing. When somebody is trying to work on a problem, doing analysis toward working under understanding, this is not being negative. If they're trying to enlist you in the solution to the problem, that's not being a negative. That's being problem solving. That's leadership. And yes, many people don't want to be led, don't want to be part of the problem, don't want to even think about the problem. And so they say, I don't be negative. You know, I'm up to here with this. Positive confession. Yes. Don't be negative. Don't dwell on the negative. Yes. But if you are so positive that your brain isn't working, well, surprise, surprise. Okay. <laughs> Was Jesus negative when he said Gehenna? Or was Paul negative when he said, the wrath of God? If the Spirit of God is negative, then that's not evil speaking. <laughs> All right. Yes, people like it if you're happy <laughs> and upbeat. But sometimes that's not appropriate. Follow the Spirit. Follow the Bible. When we hear gossip, are we thrilled about that? We forget that that's out of bounds. And here is a very good saying. Superior people talk about principles. Average people talk about events. And inferior people talk about other people. So when you are hanging out in the barber shop, in the teacher's lounge, remember this saying. And choose your conversations accordingly. Let me tell you the saying again. Superior people talk about principles. 
like how to do things, the best pedagogy, the principles on which we should elect our city council, okay? Superior people talk about principles. Average people talk about events. Oh, did you see the Astros game? <laughs> Inferior people talk about other people. What? Yes. So sinful people rejoice that their brother has fallen so they can feel superior. Feel, but not be. Truly superior, holy people mourn if they hear that someone has fallen. Even if that person has fallen in an effort to stab them, they're sad for that person. And they seek to do what they can to restore that brother, fearing that they too might fall similarly or otherwise because of some sin. So let us not rejoice to hear gossip. Let's remember that the Father specified a list of sin that include outward sin. But evil thoughts and tempers are affixed to that list. And evil speaking and vilification is a sin. And lack of concern or hate for our brother is the basis for it. And that is precisely what we are trying to get away from if we're trying to be like Christ, to wit, more loving. Now, I think that Wesley must have been speaking prophetically for us because I think these sins are especially beset those who are striving for perfection. Because we have the bar raised so high for ourselves, we tend to be particularly irritated at the lack of meeting those standards from others. Now, Wesley's hearers didn't much understand this doctrine of sinless perfection. But in general, they did have a pretty good grasp of the idea of self-mastery, something that our culture often does not. And so this death to the thinking, speaking self <laughs> is a sort of agape charity toward others. Let's think about it that way. This death to self of the thinking, speaking self is a kind of agape charity toward others. I think that's a new way of putting it that will help us move forward. This warning of Wesley about vilification is especially helpful to those of us who are pressing on to perfection. So let's not be tricked, taken off the path by the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. So this is, manifests itself in two very large demonic strongholds, both Leviathan and Jezebel. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. So if we are taken off the path, and this kind of evil speaking goes very much along the lines with achievements, if we are really to become perfect, then we must live without sin, and this is a sin. This is very important because this is a deception that we are sucked into. And it's vital for our particular intersection of time because we have now been taught for decades that we should speak the truth in love, but we don't seem to understand what that means. Of course, 
We've been taught for some decades that we should have a positive confession, but once again, we seem to be off the track of love. So notice that in our context of talking about becoming perfect in terms of one many-membered body of Christ, in the context of Ephesians 4, that we come to perfection and the ministry is giving for the building up of the body of Christ so that the body can do the work of the ministry. Then, if this list in the last of chapter 4 is mostly about communication, then it's very important to understand that this method cannot be about tearing down the body with words. No matter how spiritual it may seem. Right, it may seem spiritual. Well, it is spiritual. (laughs) A demon representative of the accuser of the brethren can come and invisibly sit in on you or on your eldership group or in your body or in your denomination and speak into your ear and tell you a story about somebody in the body of Christ. And somehow it doesn't seem important to check to see if it's true. The story is sufficient in itself. And notice it's always a negative story. And notice with what alacrity it is adopted and spreads. This is evil thinking and evil speaking. And it's bearing false witness. Oh, now we've got a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. But even worse, it's not just a mere punishable offense in a court of law because it degrades the community and its business. But now the body of Christ where we are striving for perfection or receiving perfection it is blasphemia in a word blasphemy because we're not discerning the body of Christ do you understand libel is punishable in a secular court of law how much more serious in the courts of heaven is agreeing with the accuser of the brethren in the body of Christ. Also, I want to say how extremely awful it is speaking evil of a child if you're the parent. Do you see this is cursing? Because it has a great and lasting effect. How could this get any worse? But yet, if this were the method of control by the ministry, oh dear. Because you could very well obtain control in this way. Of course, you could never build up in reality. But you can shore up a group through hate. But in fact, you're actually tearing down. You would not get love, but you could get fear. You would not get equipping of the saints for ministry, but you would get cravenness and cowardice and acquiescence. So it might look like good order. You would not get handing on of the torch or expansion of the kingdom, but instead you might get consolidated control of the existing, by the existing elite. There are plenty of stories Today I'm hearing a lot about Jezebel, and so 
let's think about the story of Jezebel and Naboth. All right, so that is in 1 Kings 21. And I won't read you the story, but she comes home and King Ahab, the weak, sniveling king, is fussing because he couldn't get a particular piece of land he wanted for his vegetable garden. Like, how important is that to the king of of Israel? But anyway, he's pouting at home. And she says, oh, never mind, I'll take care of it. And so she she writes letters in Ahab's name. Okay, first that's false. And puts his seal on them. And sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city. And she said, proclaim a day of fasting. As if she is Israelite in religion. And seat Naboth in a prominent place and put two scoundrels opposite to them and have them testify that he has cursed both God and king. Notice that she has now ordered them to violate the commandments, their false witnesses. And what do they accuse him of? Blaspheming. She is a priestess of Baal, and she's going to have somebody killed, according to the Torah, for blaspheming the true and living God. And so they do this, and they take him out and stone him. And why? He wouldn't give his property or sell it to Ahab because he was a good Israelite. It was his duty to pass this inheritance, this land, onto his sons. This was the treasure of the family. He was a farmer. He had a plot of land. Naboth means fruitful. But the elite, to fix their puny problem, which is not even a problem, went to this extent. But notice that the accusation was exactly true about Jezebel and not about Naboth. And so the elite, for their pleasure, stopped the fruitfulness and the faithfulness in the land. And I was thinking, to preach this, unlike most passages, I think it would be a good idea to ask, what if? (laughs) What if the elders said, "Uh, no, we're not going to do that? What if somebody had some discernment and as these scoundrels were bringing false witness, somebody and stood up and said, "Uh, no, I don't think so. Why didn't somebody have some discernment of the deep state and know that somebody was pulling strings from behind? Why didn't anybody say no to this sort of evil speaking? So let me ask you this. Are you participating in evil speaking or even evil thinking? That's accusing of the brethren. Is it agreeing with the devil? Is it being cursed of Leviathan? Is it being attacked or worse, partnering with Jezebel? That in itself might be blasphemy. But certainly it's kind of oppression repression. We need to get some fear of the one true and living God, the maker of heaven and earth. Less pride. Get on the side of the holy angels and Jesus who poured himself out and get off the devil's team with his pride and rebellion, no matter how beautiful. Organized and sneaky. But now we know his methods. So are you participating in evil thinking about a brethren? Whether it's true or not, it's not truth. 
Are you participating by listening to such talk? Are you participating by being afraid and craven? Ah! <laughs> I can't tell you out of context whether it's better to speak back or to ignore it. But don't permit such a system to be going around you, to tear you down, to keep you away from service, and finally to keep you away from maturity. This is the saddest outcome that I see. People who have invested their lives in seeking God, having their hearing of God taken away because they're trying so hard to please people who are in authority above them. Especially if those people can never be pleased because the aim isn't pleasing. It's control by fear. Do you see what I'm saying? So Jezebel has come in and is controlling the true government of God. Yeah, and I'm talking about in, in the church. Of course, that could certainly happen in the secular government as well. Okay. Since I've brought up, this, this is a good place to break here, but this is intimately connected with hearing. So I'm going to go on and talk about hearing and Gideon. Bring it back to evil speaking, but we want to have holy hearing too. Not just no evil speaking, but plenty of holy hearing. So let's go to Gideon, Judges 8. And we're going to be focusing on earrings as a type of hearing. Judges 8 and 22. Then the men of Israel came unto Gideon, saying, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. Notice that the earrings are not the earrings of the Israelites. Okay, we'll come back to that. Okay, so these were Ishmaelite earrings. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about the camel's necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. So now Gideon was right to refuse kingship. This is the book of Judges, because he knew that this was not God's plan. And he stayed nominally true to the law of God. He was not king, but he did have 77 sons. And how do you have so many wives as to have 70 sons unless you're living high on the hog? Well, without an income tax system, I guess it was the golden earrings. And why not have an ephod? Because 
that was reserved for the high priest. So he wasn't quite king and he wasn't quite priest, but he had an ephod and he had at least one tax in terms of all those earrings. And then after that, everybody had some trouble. It was a little bit better because Midian was quiet and not attacking them. Quiet doesn't really mean no trouble. So notice that they, he did not ask the Israelites to give up their earrings. Now, why did Israelite men not have earrings? Because they had had a bad experience with earrings and earring collections. Notice that when Moses was on the mountain, that the Israelites took their earrings and gave them to Aaron to make a calf. This left a bad taste in their mouths, such that Israelites never to this day do male Israelites typically wear earrings, whereas you see other Middle Eastern cultures, men may wear earrings. That's Genesis 35 and verse 4 and 2 and 4. Okay, the earrings that were in the ears, not just of the wives and sons. So once again, true to form, Israel went a-whoring after they gave their earrings to Gibeon. Now first, it was careful checking with God, careful not to take credit for himself. You know, he said, Gideon said, the sword of the Lord. But then later it was the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And at first it was, no, I won't rule over you. And then it was a kind of lifestyle and uh, a whoring after the ephod. And here, then we had some degradation What that was as bad as the... I think all of us who are used to sonship doctrine are also used to typological preaching. So it's not surprising that earrings would stand for hearing. You may be able to fill in some of the rest of the types in the story, or we can talk about that at another time, but let's continue to focus on the hearing, the earrings. We want our ear put up to the door in terms of loving and hearing from God. (laughs) Israelite males may not have worn earrings, but I'm certain that brides did. Earrings from her beloved. Today, we've got stealing of earrings, and that's done often through vilification. It's a false religious system. So it's Jezebel and Leviathan spiritual strongholds. If people are afraid of what will be said to them by the ministry, if they have to check their leadings and know that those leadings will never be approved, or they will get negative results from having leadings, then they're probably not going to have leadings. If it becomes a system where we assume that we're going to be perfect by obedience to the humans, this already is off track (laughs) because that's not what we were taught. We were taught that the ministry is for the building up so that the people could serve and and not just within the body. (laughs) Why did we assume that? So these are two very different things. We've got a whoring after an ephod. Ephods are great on the right people in the right tabernacle. Yes. And we want 
our ear up to the door. We don't want Ishmaelite, as Midian is Ishmael, Ishmaelite earrings. And we don't want a ruler living off Ishmaelite earrings. So you know how this works. The Lord told me that blah, blah, blah. I feel like I have a leading that blah, blah, blah. Well, are you really sure? You really sure? And then next time they say, okay, I'm going to really be sure about this. And so they pray through and they pray through and they pray until they are really certain. And then they say, the Lord told me. And then they say, you're pontificating. So we learn from this once we've been batted back and forth a while, not to have leadings. Let's not participate in that. Let's do hear from the Lord. Let's do check them with those that are people we respect. Let's do work together in our groups with those who are in authority. All of that. Let's do work together in unity as the body of Christ. Let's do build ourselves up on the gifts, the ministry gifts and the supernatural gifts that the Lord has given. Yes, but let's don't participate in a stronghold of vilification. And the worst kind would be to take away the earrings or the hooves. Okay, hold that thought. So now, not, now only in a spiritual group would this happen. Only in a spiritual group would hearing from God be common. And was it common when you were filled with the Spirit? And is it common now? Or do you have to run to the ministry for everything to be decided? Now, I'm not speaking against conferring with the ministry or checking hearing. What I'm pointing out is the use of vilification to stop someone from hearing. Participate in this, even as the victim. It is a whoring. Everyone would agree that we have only one God, right? And our ears pierced for God alone, right? And we are not going to switch that out for something we can see. Nor will we encourage someone to do that, right? Okay. So worse, of course, is tearing off hooves. You may be familiar with the passage, Zechariah 11 and 15, which reads in the King James, the authorized version. Then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or, feel the, or feed the healthy but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Let me read that same passage in the, new, the NIV, the New International Version. Verse 17. Okay, no. Continuing on in the King James. Woe to the worthless shepherd, who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered. May his right eye totally blinded. 
This hardly needs explaining. Let's hear it again in the New American Standard. Zechariah 11 and 15. The Lord said to me, Take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing. Seek the scattered. Heal the broken or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. The word of the Lord. So let us go on. Let us go on to be like Christ. And how to do that? If to be like Christ is to be loving, we cannot get there by slurring, slamming, gossiping, accusing our neighbor or our brother or sister. Let us repent if in any way we have done this, if we had vilified anyone, even in our thoughts. Let us repent if we had allowed ourselves to participate in a culture of vilification, even of ourselves as God's children. And let us be especially careful of a church culture that uses vilification to steal hearing or encourage people not to follow Jesus. Thank you to John Wesley for pointing out not only sanctification, sinless perfection, but also this great sin of vilification. Long before we can claim deathless perfection, even before we can claim sinless perfection, let us start working on this to tell the truth, but not the unflattering facts, and never ever to make up negative stories. Certainly, let's not permit a culture, especially in our own churches, of using vilification as a control method, because it does steal hearing and tear off hooves, causing people to walk as cripples. Let's catch Satan in his method. This is a step toward maturity. Amen. Please give us a like wherever you are listening to us so that others might find us. And please share directly with those who might be interested. And of course, there is much more to be said about inappropriate leadership styles or about Jezebel, who did that, or witchcraft. But suffice it to say, which might today, be defined as using that vilification to control is people. not a godly leadership method. And anymore, we'll have to wait for another day. You are invited to write us at sister at 
jesuspatternson.org sister at jesuspatternson.org and of course you are welcome to come to our website at jesuspatternson.org may the lord bless you